Amen. Well, good morning, church. We're going to be in John chapter 2 today. John chapter 2. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get you one. Anyone need a Bible? Keep your hand up. They'll get you one. John chapter 2 and Luke 1. John 2, Luke 1. And while they're doing that, um, I just want to see, because I want to acknowledge moms today. The title of the message is A A Mother's Advice. (coughs) So before we start that, do we have any great-grandmas in here? If you are, stand up if you're a great-grandma. Oh, we got one in the back. We got another one up here. All right, no, keep, stay up, stay up, stay up, stay up, please. Okay, now grandmas, stand up. Oh, we're getting more. Now mothers, all mothers, all moms, stand up. Give them a big hand, guys. Okay, you can be seated. Everybody get their rose? Don't forget your picture to get your picture taken out there with your kids and grandkids. That'll be awesome. Um, yeah, I want to I talk to you today about moms because uh, moms are given to us by the Lord. And uh, God's blessed us with moms. We wouldn't be here without them. And so I want to look at a couple of my favorite moms in the Bible today. And um, I just want to say to make sure to bless your mom today. Um, You know, a mother's job goes unappreciated many times. Moms do so much in the family, and and many times they're working behind the scenes. I I think, personally, it's a lot easier to go to work than to stay home and take care of the kids. Amen? That's how I feel. I mean, you know, I I remember when uh, my daughter first let me watch her kids, And they were really little, and like 20 minutes into it, I was frazzled. And I I said to my wife, I go, how did we do it? Because we had five, right? I go, how did we do it? She goes, we didn't. I did. (laughs) So I want to read you a couple of things from the USA Today. Uh, USA Today said that uh, today on Mother's Day, the average amount spent on moms this day is $245. That's the average. 65% will be on cards, 53% flowers, 43% gift cards, uh, 24% gardening items, 21% entertainment products and jewelry. So the average that a person will spend on mom today is $245. So now you know if you're a little cheap, (laughs) a little paquet, or if you're a little extravagant. USA Today. Um, Then the question, was this given to moms? um, What do you want to do on this day? And according to what moms want on this day, it says 44% want a break from cleaning, 28% no cooking, 13% no laundry, 8% no clothes shopping for the family, and 7% of mothers said absolutely no carpooling anyone anywhere. So guys, no dishes for mom today. Amen? Just put them in the sink. 
She'll do them on Monday. You know, I, I say that because if you're dumb enough to leave them in the sink, as I see some moms pointing at their husbands, if you're really that lame to leave them in the sink, Monday she will do them. And it's not because that's what moms are made for. It's because that's what moms are made of. That was one clap. <laughs> you know, I, um, I heard that according to um, a report that the, the highest volume of calling in the, in the year, the, the one day that gets the most calls is Mother's Day, according to the phone company. And then the, the one day of the year that gets the most collect calls, guess, guess what day? Father's Day. Crazy, huh? So today, what I want to do is I want to share a couple of my favorite moms with you. And they're found in Luke chapter 1, and then we'll be focusing on John chapter 2. But in Luke chapter 1, I'm going to introduce you to two of my favorite moms that both had miracle births. And one, of course, is uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And the other one is her cousin, who is Elizabeth, who gave birth, another miracle birth, to John the Baptist. So John the Baptist and Jesus were actually cousins. And John the Baptist was about six months older. <coughs> Excuse me. And so it says there in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, and we're pretty much just going to be reading Scripture today. Um, because it pretty much says it all. It says there in verse 5, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the division of Abihai, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. So they were of good stock. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well stricken in years. King James, well stricken. I mean, that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? Old age will beat you up, right? They were well stricken, so they're beyond childbearing years. So it was that the while he was serving as the priest before God in order of the, his division, according to the customs of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside the hour of the incense. So uh, he was a priest, and there was so many priests, and he was lucky, fortunate enough to have the lot fall on him because this was a great honor to go in and to, uh, to burn the incense at the altar of incense. He would come in, and the smoke, you know, he'd, he'd wave the incense, and the smoke would rise up, and it was a symbol of the prayers of the saints rising up to God. And so this was a great honor, and so he's honored uh, to do this, and him and his wife have been to, trying to have a baby for years. They're probably in their 80s. We don't know. But they're well stricken in years. And so uh, that was a real stigma in those days. If, if you didn't have a child, people looked down on you. They frowned upon you as if you did not have favor with God. Because every woman wanted to give birth to the Messiah. 
And so if you were barren, you were looked down on as if you may had sin in your life and God had no favor for you. And we see these two faithful, you know, of the, of the line of Abijah as, as the daughter of Aaron. Um, he's working in the temple. And so while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell on him to burn these incense. And he went into the temple and the whole multitude of people were praying outside the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when, he, when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. So you're inside the holy of holy place. You're the only one. You're inside the holy place, excuse me, by the altar of incense. You're the only one allowed in there. And next thing you know, this angel appears. That would kind of freak you out, wouldn't it? I think if an angel appeared in my bedroom, I would freak out, would you? And so he's troubled. And the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Why did the angel say that? Because he was afraid. Don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Praise the Lord, huh? How many times have we prayed and then all of a sudden our prayer was heard and answered in the way that we were hoping, right? It says your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready peoples prepared for the Lord. Wow, what an amazing thing to hear. These guys have been praying. Years have gone by. You know, sometimes we pray and uh, the prayers don't get answered right away, do they? And so now here comes the angel Gabriel and he says, listen, you're going to have this is a total miracle because they're well stricken in age. He, he she's past childbearing years. She's already been past menopause, but he's so old that he can't. Anyway, you know what I'm saying? He's old. And, and so he tells him this. But look what Zacharias says in verse 18. He said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well stricken in years. This is a priest. Are you kidding me? An angel shows up in the holy place and tells you God's heard your prayers and says you're going to have a baby. And you're like, ain't going to happen. I'm too old and she's stricken too. And then the angel answers and says to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you to bring you things of glad tidings but behold, you will be dumb and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which were, will be fulfilled in their own time. That's a little heavy. Get rebuked by an angel, right? Angel comes, brings you good tidings and everything, and you're like, uh, yeah, I don't believe that. And you're a priest? And I mean, Gabriel's probably sitting there going, dude, how many angels you got bad press from? I mean, is this like, does this happen all the time to you? Because I, I stand in the presence of God. And I brought you these words. So he's like, you know, if you're going to act dumb, you'll be dumb. 
And he will not be able to speak until after the baby's born and the dedication takes place. And then it says in verse 21, the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. I mean, he probably doesn't know what to do. That was mind-blowing. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So, <clears throat> in those days, when that priest got done doing his lot, his, his time of the altar of the incense, he would come out, and the people would all be waiting outside the temple, waiting and praying and to receive a blessing. And the blessing that he would come out and say was in Numbers 6. It would say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So here comes uh, Zacharias, and uh, he can't say anything because he's mute. So he's like motioning to him. So now he's playing Pictionary, right? Everybody's like, what happened? He's like, they're like, sky, cloud, heaven. Heaven, heaven, yes, heaven. You know. Bird, eagle, angel, yes, angel. And then, you know, he's making it all out. My wife, she's, you know, I don't know. I'm just suggesting that. I wasn't there. But now he's got to go home. And he's got to go home and talk to his wife. But it won't happen for a few more days because he's still got to fulfill his task there. So it says there in verse 23, So it was as soon as the days of service were completed that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months saying, Thus the Lord dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. And this is a beautiful passage here. So he gets home. He can't talk to her. He can't explain what's going on, right? He's trying to say, you know, an angel came down, said we're going to have a baby. He's doing Pictionary with her, and, and she's probably got a lot of doubt, but he can't speak, so something happened. And then I guess all of a sudden he got that look in his eye like she hadn't seen for a while. like, and she, Right? They conceive, but she hides herself for five months. I mean, that's just a miracle, right? I mean, come on. She hides herself for five months probably because she doesn't want, you know, she doesn't want to tell anybody what's going on and then have that risk of it's not happening. So she's, she waits till she's uh, just, you know, along far enough to be really seen and everything's safer. And, and so, uh, you know, she's so excited because why? Because now this stigma has been lifted from her to where all the women and people look down on her for being barren and maybe accused her of having sin in her life and maybe accused them both about not having enough faith and, and not having favor of the Lord. And God waited for such a time as this. Isn't that beautiful? But there's something we got to take away from that is that um, how many years did she go barren? I mean, girls were married like 14 back then. And she's probably in her 80s now. So if you think about it, you know, who knows? 60, 70 years of, of people looking down at you. But here, here's the point I want to make. They never got angry with God. 
because they didn't get things the way they wanted it, because their prayers weren't answered the way they want, they never got angry with God because it says that they were both serving the Lord, they were keeping the ordinances and the commandments, and they were blameless before God. doesn't mean they were out without sin. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that when they did sin, they did things the right way and that they were, they were focused on living for God. And so, I mean, that, what a beautiful picture that we have here. And then it says in verse 26, Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Wow. For when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. He shall call, you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. Wow. What news to hear, right? I mean, this is crazy. And then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I don't know a man? Now, she doesn't have this unbelief like Zacharias had. Zacharias was told he was going to have a baby and he was like, nah, ain't going to happen. She's stricken in years. I'm stricken in years. But it's a nice gesture. She's not doing that at all. She's accepting what Gabriel's saying to her but she doesn't understand how it works. She's like, how can this be? Because I have never known a man. And so the angel answers and he says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One is to be born, will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Let's say that together. Ready? For with God, nothing will be impossible. Do you believe that? Then stop doubting. It's a nutty world, right? And it seems like we get hit side to side and we get hit by everything in the world. But you know what? Just keep going because with God, nothing is impossible. And he's going to finish the good work that he started in you. And so he reminds her that with God, nothing is impossible. And then Mary said, behold, I love this, the, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She's like, I'm all in. But now there's a problem. She's got to go tell her fiance. Now we know the story. But let's stop and think about that for a minute. What was that like? See, in those days, when you, were, you could be engaged as young as like two, three years old, they, you, know, you, you know, you got two people that live next to each other. He's got a son. She's got a daughter. They fish every day together. And he looks over and he goes, hey, Corey, I see you got a daughter. You know, I got a son. Let's put them together. We'll be family. And so that would be like an engagement 
and you would watch this person grow up. And then there would be the betrothal where they would meet at the gate. And at the gate, all the families and the people of the city would gather together and they bring this, this guy that wants to be the bridegroom and the so-called bride. And then he would pour a cup of wine and he would pledge himself to her and he would drink from the cup and then he would hand the cup to her. Now, only in a Galilean wedding, only in a Galilean wedding, could she refuse the cup saying, I don't want what you're offering me. Couldn't do that in any other wedding in Israel. She was stuck to marry that guy. But in the Galilean wedding, she could refuse that cup. But if she didn't refuse the cup, she would drink from the cup, thus saying she wants what he's offering her. And then he would say, I will drink from the vine until I'm with you in my father's house. Sound familiar? And then he would go to prepare a place for her. Sound familiar? Let not your heart be troubled, but I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house is many mansions. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. And where I am, I will come get you and receive you to myself. Yeah. So he would go to his Father's house, start to prepare this place, and it would take uh, about a year to do, and she would be getting ready with all of her bridesmaids and everything, and coming up towards the end, she and her bridesmaids would be sleeping in their, in their wedding gowns, waiting because only in the Galilean wedding did nobody know the hour or the day except the Father. Not the Son, not the angels, but the Father only. See, in all the other weddings around Israel, uh, they, they were like, they'd betrothed for about a year, but then it would get close to that time and they would announce what date it is so everybody could make sure they get there because you had to prep a lot of food. You know, it was quite a celebration. You didn't want the food to go bad. So they would actually tell everybody when the time was, but that wasn't the case in Galilee. It would be the father only that would know. So the son would get everything ready. Things would be in place. And he'd be waiting with anticipation for the father. And then one night the father would wake up and he'd wake him up and he'd say, go get your bride. And you know how he'd go get your bride? They'd go out in the street with the bridegrooms and blow a trumpet. They'd blow a big trumpet and everybody would hear the trumpet and the bride and the bridesmaids would jump out of bed, light their, their lamps and be standing outside her door waiting for the bridegroom. And then they would all come down the street with this full entourage and they'd bring this litter with a chair sitting on it and four guys, eat, you know, one on each pole, right? And they would set it down before her. She would get on it and sit down. They would lift her up and they would take her off to the father's house and they called it being flown to the father's house. Sound familiar? And it was a great party. And, and they would be married, and then for seven days, a whole week, they would go into this place that he prepared in his father's house for them, and they would consummate the marriage. Meanwhile, for seven days, everybody's throwing a radical party. They're celebrating, they're eating food, they're drinking wine. I mean, it's quite the festivity, and it goes on for seven days. And at the end of the seven days, it goes on for a whole week. Now, that's interesting. Why? Because one day the Lord's going to descend from heaven with a shout. Voice of an archangel, the sound of the trump. The dead in Christ will rise first. We that are alive and remain will rise up. We will meet him in the clouds. And it'll be awesome. What a day that'll be. Comfort one another with that. And then what happens? The 70th week of Daniel, the final week. A seven-year period. See, you and I, as believers, will be in heaven enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb. A seven-year honeymoon. 
And at the end of that, we'll come riding back with the Lord on white horses. The bridegroom comes back with his bride. Hello. Sets up his kingdom, and it's awesome. That's good stuff. So Mary has to come to Joseph and say, "Um, I got something to tell you, honey. Now put yourself in this place, guys. You're engaged. You and your fiancé have never had sex because you want to honor God. You're waiting until you're married. And your fiancé comes to you and goes, Honey, I'm pregnant. How do you respond? Who that? <laughs> Who is it? Oh, take it easy. It's all G. It's a God thing. How many of you would accept that? Obviously, he wouldn't either because Gabriel will have to come to him and say, hey, it's just as she said to calm him down. And he was a just man. He put her away privately. He could have taken her out and had her stoned because in those days, even though they were betrothed and they didn't consummate the marriage yet, to to commit fornication was to commit adultery and you'd be put to death for that. And so the angel had to come to Joseph and said, it's exactly how she said it was. Uh, Don't worry about it. But you got to think about this. The stigma that they lived with for how many years? She was considered an outcast. He was considered an outcast. She she was considered a fornicator, an adulterer. And and Jesus was considered an illegitimate bastard son. Even when Jesus got older, remember when his ministry started and he's having a little argument with the religious leaders and he puts them in their place and they get so upset and they go, well, at least least we're not born of fornication. It was still going on. He was still being called a bastard son even when he started 30 years ago. 30 years after that. And no doubt she was frowned upon. And she had to live with that. I mean, you remember when when she was pregnant, she was like in her third trimasters and and, and trimasters, trimaster, trimaster, trimaster. And remember, Caesar said, you got to go down for a census, a tax census. So they had to go down to Bethlehem because that's where Joseph was from. And so he puts her on a donkey and makes her travel 60 miles on a donkey in her third trimester. And they get to Bethlehem and there's no room. But wait, this is where Joseph's from. What do you mean there's no room? This is where his family lives. They're outcasts. They're looked down on. Why do I say that? Because you listen, there's a cost to serving Jesus. There's a cost to serve God. If your life is just peachy keen and nothing ever happens to you, you might want to check your pulse. Are you really serving God? Because if you're serving God, there's a cost. You know, it, Jesus said that, you know, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. And you know what? Uh, there, th- she suffered and he suffered so much at the hand of man. But she knew that she was doing what God had called her to do. It says there in verse 39 that Mary arose in those days and she went into the hill country uh, with haste to the city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and greeting, greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe, John the Baptist, the baby in the womb, leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the baby leaped in the womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those days which were told her from the Lord. Wow. What an amazing, amazing scene here. And Mary busts into a song. You know, Mary's kind of gotten some bad press over the centuries. You know what I mean? And, and the fault is because of the Catholics and the Protestants. And other denominations. See, the Catholics raised Mary to a, a place of elevation. that They made her a co-redemptist, which is false doctrine. Mary can't save you. Mary can't go to Jesus on your behalf. You have to go to Jesus yourself. And so because of that, Protestants, on the other hand, have kind of poo-pooed Mary and try not to talk about her at all. But she was highly favored. Let's give credit where credit's due. She was chosen by God to bring forth God into this world. Jesus, the Word, clothed in flesh, came down and dwelt among us. She's highly favored, blessed among women. Let's give credit due where credit's due. All right. All, right. All right. At least somebody gets excited. <laughs> and so she's at there at the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and she greets Elizabeth, and the baby leaps in her room, and Mary busts out with a song. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for He regarded the lowly state of His maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, for He who is the mighty, who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is His name, and His mercy is on those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arms. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servants in Israel in remembrance of His mercy, and He spoke to our fathers and to Abraham and to His seed forever." Okay, now let's fast forward 30 years. Go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. This is the first miracle. When Jesus first started His ministry. Let me read it to you. John 2, verse 1. In the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and His disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to Him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with Me? My hour is not yet come. And His mother said to the servants, Whatever He says, do it. Now there was set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing King James 2 to 3 firkins, uh, which means 20 to 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. They filled them up to the brim, and He said, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast, the governor. 
And they took it, and when the governor, the master of the feast, had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, you know, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. Great story. Isn't it interesting that Jesus' first miracle is a wedding? He honors the marriage. And this is where he'll do his first miracle. Now, he's in Cana. Cana is not far from Nazareth. No doubt a family member because Mary's in charge of the food and the wine. Um, in those days, like I said before, they would have a seven-day feast. So you had to have a lot of food and a lot of wine, right? And wine was a symbol of joy, and there would be a great celebration. It was unheard of to run out of food and wine for a wedding. It was, a, it was just looked down upon, frowned upon, so bad so that everybody would look down on you for years. Ten years would go by, they say, yeah, you remember that wedding when they ran out of wine? Wow, whose wedding was that? And here's Mary trying to clear her name for over 30 years and thinking maybe if I do good at this wedding and do a good job, everybody will like me now. And she runs out of wine. And now she's about to be that one. Remember that? Remember Mary ran out of wine, that little fornicator. So she comes to Jesus and she's thinking, oh, Jesus can do this. She knows who he is. And so she goes, we have no wine. And look what Jesus says. Woman, what does, that, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now that seems pretty harsh. Woman, I don't know what kind of family you grew up in, but if I called my mom woman, I get slapped upside the head. Can you imagine that, Stephen? Clean your room. Woman? What does your concern have to do with me? My hour's not yet come. My dad would smack me and I'd wake up on the floor. It seems kind of harsh, but here's the thing what's going on here is that Jesus is now making her know that she needs to make him her Lord. He doesn't call her mother throughout the Scriptures. He calls her woman. Even at the cross, he looks at John. He looks at her. He says, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Because she needed to realize that, yes, she gave birth, and she's highly favored, blessed among women. God overshadowed her. I get that. But she also has to make Jesus her Lord and Savior. And so he says, what does that have to do with me? Then he tells his servants to go fill these purification jars, these, these water pots, holding 20 to 30 gallons each. So now we're looking at 120 to 180 gallons. And the servants go out and it says they filled them to the brim. I like that. Overachievers. They're overflowing. I mean, this is for us. When God tells you to do something, how do you do you give them 50%? You give them 80%? Do you fill it up or do you give 110? Jesus says go fill it up. They don't fill it up halfway. They don't fill it up three quarters. They don't fill it up to full. They fill it up to the brim. Yeah. 
see? The baby leaped in her arms. And then he says, now draw out a cup and go give it to the governor of the feast. Now, if you're the disciple, you're kind of going, man, this, this is not going to be good. We're gonna, this, this is water. We're going to scoop this out there. And then what happens when we give it to the guy? And then he drinks the water and he goes, and he goes, you guys, get him. So we don't know when it changed to wine. Did it change as soon as they filled him? Did it change when he dipped the cup in? Did it change on the way to the governor? Did it change right before the governor took a sip? But the governor takes a sip and he goes, whoa. And he calls the bridegroom over and he says, what is this? And he says, what? What's wrong? He says, this is the best. This, most people put out the good stuff first, and then when everybody's half-pickled, they bring out the Thunderbird and the Boone's Farm, the Mad Dog, the Ripple, whatever it is. I don't know if they even have that anymore. But you know what I'm saying? Bring the junk out last when they all can't function. They're on the dance floor. <laughs> he said, but you saved the best for last. Let me give you a word. Jesus Christ has saved the best for last for you. He's got great things intended for you and he saves the best for last i say that at the same point that satan will give you his best first and his best isn't good but you know what we sin because there's pleasure in sin and so when he gets people that want power and they want money and they want sex and they want drugs and they want drunkenness he will give satan will give them what they want to hook them in give them the power give them the fame give them the drugs give them the immorality because sin is fun for a season but then he hooks them in and destroys their life god does it the opposite way he says i'm saving the best for last he said, listen, you know, you're going to live in this world. Um, I'm not of this world. And now that you're one of mine, you're not of this world. You're a pilgrim passing through. But in this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, there'll be much suffering. Hello, this is for somebody right now. Much suffering. And you will die to yourself, pick up your cross, and follow after me because the best is yet to come. Yeah. Woo! You got heaven coming. You got a new body. You got no more pain. All things become new. He saves the best for last. We're almost out of here, okay? But let me close with this. At the beginning of the message, I said the title of the message was A Mother's Advice. And you're probably thinking, if you remembered that, you're probably thinking, I don't remember any advice you gave me. But I'm going to give you the advice. And it's so amazing, it'll blow your mind. When she came to Jesus and she said, we have no wine. And he said, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. See, she was seeking for something much, much more. She wasn't only seeking for him to change water to wine. She was looking to Jesus for clearing his name. Her name, I mean. She'd gone through this stigma for over 30 years of being looked down at, and, and he's, she's thinking to herself, I'm, I, this is just my opinion. She's probably thinking, you know what? You could do a miracle right here. Everybody would see who you are. He's like, my hour hasn't yet come. But no, do something. Then they'll know you're the Messiah like I've been telling them, and you'll clear my name. He said, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour is not yet. It's not the right time yet, Mary. So rather than going away bitter and salty, what does she do? She gives the best 
advice that a mother could ever give. Look at verse 5, the number of grace. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to do, do it. Okay, let's try that again. You act like you care. His mother said to the servants, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. All right. Is that like the best advice ever? This is the last time we'll hear Mary speak. These are the last words of Mary. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. To you moms today, I say to you, train up your children in the ways of the Lord so when they're older they will not depart. And when you get old and stricken in years and you're on your deathbed and you have all your family around you, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, you say to them, I love you, I will wait for you in heaven, and whatever he tells you to do, do it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the reminder today, Lord God. Thank you um, for just your love. You are so good to us, so good to us. And Lord, um, I pray that this would be just a special day for moms. You blessed us with our moms, Lord God. Uh, may we just bless them today and give thanks to you for what you've done through them for us. And Lord, we just are so grateful that we're part of the family of God. And, and so Lord, to, with that said, I, I just want to give the gospel just in case there's somebody here um, that doesn't know the, doesn't know the Lord. Maybe maybe you got promised brunch afterwards, so you came. Maybe maybe um, your your mom you asked your mom what what she wanted for Mother's Day, and she said I want you to go to church. And you're like oh mom, and then she gave you that look, you know. Um, whatever the reason is, you need Jesus, and and it's not a tough thing. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't work for it. You just got to accept the gift. You just got to believe. It's all about faith. So if that's you today. And you want to enter into the kingdom and know if Jesus came today that you'd be going with Him? You wouldn't be left behind? Then pray in your heart right now with me, Lord, I believe You died for my sins. I believe You're the Creator of all things. I believe You gave Your life on the cross for me. I believe You rose on the third day and have ascended to heaven. I come to you now asking for forgiveness of my sins. Pour out your Spirit on me. Make me a child of God. Save me now. If you just prayed that in your heart, lift up your hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone? God bless you. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Oh, praise God. God bless you. Father, we plea with you right now we beg you we beseech you by the mercy of God that you would give us the strength that we need to finish and to finish well we want to see a smile on your face when we come into your presence and hear you say well done and good and faithful servant in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said amen, amen. please stand